Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. My father is a wise guy. No, I don't mean he's part of an organized crime family. And I also am not saying that he's one of those constant smart Alex that we all find annoying. Although he is rather witty and is usually quick with a quip for suitable occasions. What I mean is that he's got a well-developed degree of wisdom, much of which, at this point in my life, I'm only now beginning to fully appreciate. It seems that we all need to sort of figuratively touch the hot stove a few times in life before we appreciate the wisdom that our elders attempt to pass along to us. One of my dad's favorite quotations even reflects on the fact that it often takes some rough lessons in life before we start to understand the world around us well enough to function somewhat competently in it. I don't think this saying originated with him, but he's awful fond of saying, experience is what you get when you don't get what you wanted. I repeat that one rather often, sometimes to my own children or to other people who are struggling with some of the things of this world, I frequently say it even to myself. It's a good reminder that our plans and our goals in life will often fail. Yet even so, we may take away some valuable practical lessons from having striven for them. More importantly though, this quotation can remind us that what we want and what we need are often two very different things that only our loving Heavenly Father truly has the wisdom to discern between them. Realizing that, we not only develop greater wisdom and understanding, but greater humility toward God as well. Yet true wisdom and true understanding and true humility come not from anyone's pithy human words, but from grasping the truth that the Lord has supplied to us from His own wisdom from the message of his inerrant word. Looking at the word today, we are confronted by a question asked by St. James of his readers, words which are at the start of our epistle lesson. Who is wise and understanding among you? It's a challenging question, a godly question. It's a sort of question that our Lord asks frequently of you throughout the scriptures sometimes quite plainly and other times simply by confronting you with your limitations and your ignorance. And it's a question that provokes a variety of responses. To those of us blindly chasing after the things of this world, our minds and our energy focused on the next thing we want to obtain or achieve or buy, that question is often set aside. We think we know what we want and we think we know how to get it. Where we currently lack the resources to achieve these goals, we seek to address those shortcomings with great gusto. And we seek the wisdom and the understanding and the skills necessary to get where we want to be. If we answer that question, who is wise and understanding among you at all, our response might be, I'm still working on it. Just give me the opportunity and I'll do the rest. In essence, we're saying, I know that wisdom is out there. I'll hunt it down, and I'll make use of it when and where I find it. Another segment of the population, 
no less envious of all that the world has to offer and no less ambitious in seeking what they choose to obtain from it, scoff at the wisdom of God. They grasp as knowledge and understanding only what they can see and feel and measure. Then they apply their discoveries to manipulate the world or people around them to conform to their wishes and to fulfill their desires. Their answer about who is wise and understanding sounds something like this. I'm the only one who gets it. Wisdom is what I choose it to be, and it exists for my benefit. If it doesn't serve my needs and my wants, it can't be all that important. In both of these cases, wisdom and understanding have selfish purposes. To place the individual in a better position to satisfy his or her ambitions. To obtain a bigger and better slice of life's finite pie at the expense of others. Now we might argue vehemently that this is not our purpose, of course. We claim to have an understanding that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. If we don't look out for ourselves, who will? We're only trying to get ahead. Yet the Holy Spirit has a warning for us about this. St. James writes, If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Our seeking of knowledge for the purpose of getting ourselves ahead isn't really something to be proud of. Nor is pretending that that isn't our motive, our end game objective. The first is a sin of deed and the latter is a sin of thought and word. For has there ever been a more apt and accurate description of our contemporary world, both at home and abroad, than what's written in James 3.16? There he writes, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Indeed, has there ever been a more apt and accurate description of you and me as individuals either? Lord, have mercy, for this is my foolish wisdom. It is my twisted understanding all too often. I have used my wisdom to serve myself and my understanding to seek the satisfaction of my own needs. The trouble with all that, of course, is that we're depending upon our own wisdom. It's our own understanding that we're attempting to apply. And whenever and wherever we come to rely on ourselves for any good at all, we're really exercising complete and utter foolishness. Doesn't Scripture tell us that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise? the weak things to shame the strong, the lowly and despised and unseen things to nullify the visible. What's more, he has promised through the prophet Isaiah that he will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Count yourself among the blessed then if you are sometimes foolish and ignorant and lack understanding of the things of this world. Ignorance is not bliss, certainly, don't get me wrong. And we are instructed by Christ to be as shrewd as snakes in dealing with the things of this world. But human knowledge that puffs us up and human wisdom that drives us forward with arrogance and ambition is, as James so clearly writes, earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. That sort of wisdom and understanding is not only inadequate, it's deadly to our faith and therefore dangerous to your immortal soul. We are called to first seek Christ and his kingdom 
and all other things needful will be given to us. That's quite a challenge for us, of course, because apart from having been given faith in Christ and living under the Spirit's power, not only do we not seek Christ, we actively resist Him with every fiber of our fallen sinful nature. We have no ability, no inclination to turn from our sin, to love God and to be saved. And even once He has reached out to us and the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sins and drawn us to faith in Christ through word and sacrament, we remain in that duality of saint and sinner. We continue to constant struggle, a constant struggle against the envies and the ambitions to which we are led by our human wisdom and our human understanding. These things will not let us go, for Satan refuses to accept the new reality of our lives in Christ. And that peace, that peace in Christ which surpasses all our human understandings, also surpasses the wisdom and understanding of the angels, fallen or otherwise. To read the opening verses of chapter 4 of James, which occurs about halfway through our epistle lesson today, we might begin to lose all hope as the author gives us point after point of all of our failings, fights and quarrels, desires that battle within us, our selfishness, and all of the horrible things we do and our feeble and our impossible desires to satisfy it. Our frequent neglect of asking God to address our needs. And our unfaithful intentions and our improper motives when we finally do get around to asking. Then James lays it on the line. You can be a friend of the world or a friend of God. You can't have it both ways. You can't accept the things that the world accepts when those things differ from what God deems acceptable. You can't try to force a compromise between human wisdom and understanding and God's given wisdom, foolish as though it might appear sometimes. To do so is to become God's enemy, for you have chosen then to be a friend of the world. See, God's envy for you is a righteous jealousy, It's a jealousy that is rooted in perfect love. A perfect love that would allow nothing, absolutely nothing at all, to come between you and him. Isn't that the sort of love you wish others had for you as well? A love that was so intent, so intense, that any threat to that love was met with all of the strength and all of the power that could be brought to bear. That's the sort of love that brought true wisdom, and true understanding down from heaven to overcome the self-generated wisdom of mankind. Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God, St. Paul called him. Look at all of those things that James wrote at the end of our epistle lesson today in verses 7 through 10. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Wash your hands. Purify your hearts. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. All these things James wrote as exhortations to those in the church in his day, those who have been called to faith in Jesus Christ, but who are frequently forgetting what it meant to put aside the things of this world and remain conformed to the will of God. But those are also all things that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had already done for us. 
eternal and divine, he submitted himself to God to be that wisdom come down from above. Perfect knowledge, the eternal logos made flesh. He resisted the temptations of the devil who indeed fled from him and left him alone, but then remained crouching in wait for an opportune time. Sinless and single-minded, he became sin for us that in his washing our double-minded hearts might become purified. He came down to our sad and our hopeless planet and became one of us, leaving the joy and the laughter of heaven to dwell in our mournful gloom. And then, according to his own wisdom and understanding, aligned with that of the Father, he humbled himself before the Lord and he was lifted up. First, first lifted up upon the bloody cross to suffer and die for us. Then lifted up from the cold, hard tomb to life made new once again. And finally, once again uplifted to the glories of heaven, where he will dwell in power and glory until he comes again to also bring us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from our own foolishness to a full and complete understanding with God. If you are asked then, who is wise and understanding among you, be prepared with an answer. It is not those who trumpet their learning to draw a claim to themselves or to use it for fleeting gain. It's not those who, af who chase after it and think that their intellect will bring safety and prosperity and comfort to themselves or even to others. Rather, the one who is wise and understanding among you is he who showed it by his good life, by doing powerful deeds in humility, a humility that came out of his perfect wisdom. Jesus Christ is the wisdom that has come down from heaven. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, as James writes. He is your peacemaker with God, and having sowed that peace, he now awaits a harvest of righteousness in you, his people. The Holy Spirit works within you to turn envy into mercy, ambition into dedication, the wisdom of this world into the foolishness of Christ crucified. As you humble yourselves in repentance and prayer, in worship and in service, he will grant you grace upon grace, the wisdom and understanding that you too will be lifted up to your God through suffering, death, and finally resurrection. May that peace of God, which indeed does surpass all of our human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.